Sorry, you're used to responding, right? I didn't give you time. Well, it's good to see each one of you here. Thank you, Lyle, for the songs that you led for leading us in worship. And uh, I trust that 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 is our desire, is to be a sanctuary, that Christ would be in our hearts and that we would live our lives in response to that. And it's a reflection of what's inside that's coming out. And so uh, just appreciated that song, ending on that song. Well, we've been praying for quite some time about uh, the meetings this week. And I've been very aware that Satan has been um, very active in the last week or two. And the text that Lyle sent you this week was in response to, we've heard different of you, and we've experienced it as a uh, leadership team also, just felt like there's a spiritual battle going on. And Calvin has expressed to me and to others also that he has sensed that. And so I'm not sure what God is wanting to do in our lives, but I think that he's wanting, he's wanting to do a work. And that has Satan worried. And I, I believe we, we do well to be aware of that and to, uh, to, do, to counter that with prayer. And so I invite you to continue praying this week. Um, pray for our hearts and also pray for Brother Calvin. Um, Satan has ways of bringing things in our lives to distract us. And he's been very active in bringing things in Calvin's life also to uh, cause distractions. And so I just, let's just pray that God would be able to work through him. Calvin, I invite you to come up and we'll have prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. Lord, thank you for uh, this time together as a, a body of believers. Lord, we're not special in, in any way except that we are children of years and we desire to, to walk uh, where you walked and we desire to serve you. Lord, we desire, we want you to be, um, we want to be a sanctuary. We want our lives to be a um, a place that you can fill and use and change. And Lord, I pray that as we hear the preaching of the word this morning, I pray that you would bless Calvin, give him a clear mind. Lord, I pray against the enemy. I pray against the devil and his angels that they wouldn't have any um, power here in this meeting. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us to uh, remain focused on uh, the words that we hear and, and your spirit working in our lives and hearts and may May we be soft and be open to, to hear and to receive what you have for us. Bless Calvin as he shares. And Lord, I pray for the message up in Elkhart. Be with Marnell as he preaches. God, I pray a blessing on their service. May you be honored and glorified uh, through, them, through that service also. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning. I like that tradition. <clears throat> Maybe we'll have to start that at Bethel, <clears throat> hearing your response. So it is quite an honor to be here with you all this week, and uh, I just 
I hope that our time together will be an encouragement, a blessing to me. I'm, I'm expecting to go away with more than what I came with. I'm expecting to be blessed myself. As uh, I just love you all. I know most of you. I don't know all of you. And so I'm hoping at the end of the services to probably stand back there in the back. So please, if, if you don't know us or know me very well, don't slip out the side door. Come by and say hello and introduce yourself. Um, I'm hoping to know all of you by... Thursday evening, not before then. <clears throat> so I'm adopting you as my church. You're my church this week, okay? And uh, just spent some time this morning looking over the directory, trying to learn some of your names and, and praying for all of you. Um, so I'd like, to, I'd like for us to uh, learn a verse. I've got some memory work for you. One verse. Can we do that this week? Um, so I want you to stand with me, and we're going to say this verse together, maybe by Thursday night. Would you stand up, please? Maybe by Thursday night, you can say it without looking at your Bible. But the verse is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18 is the verse. And uh, this is kind of my, I don't know, the theme of my heart this week as we think about these meetings and just... For us to be, what does it take to, you're probably going to discover some of my questions this week, but one of those is that we finish. It seems like so much of the American church is focused on starting, and oh, praise and happy when someone starts as a Christian, but will they finish? That's, that's so important. And, and then also, will, you, will we be fruitful, though? Will we just to the end, or will we, be, will we be finish and be fruitful as we get to the end? And so I just think that this verse would be very key. If we could do what is in this verse, which is very hard, actually. Um, I'll just read the verse, and then I want us to say it together. The verse says, while we look not at the things which are seen. Can you do that? Can you, if you're going to finish and flourish, can you, you have to do, like, do it just like this. Look not at the things that are seen. You cannot let your life become about the things that are seen. You look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Can you do that? Can you keep your eyes and your focus as you go through your life on the things that are not seen? Paul said that's what he did. And here's the reason. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I just think that would be a great model for anyone to have as a Christian. Make it to finish and flourish, okay? So what I would like for us to do is say the reference, then the verse, and then say the reference again at the end. Okay? All together. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I have never started a week of revival meetings with a message about the mission of the church. But I decided to start here because I think that before you begin the journey, you should define the mission. Um, before you figure out how to keep the train running, you should figure out where the train is going. <clears throat> And some of my burden for the local church comes from the growing pains of my own experience. I was ordained in 2007, 
And from that summer to about 2010, <clears throat> we lost nearly half of the families in, our, in the entire church. We went from, we went to half the size in about three years. Uh, some people left because, now I'm going to tell you my opinions, all right? These might not be accurate. This is the way it seemed to me. Some left because of the failures of the ministry. Some left because of strained relationships between church members. Some left because the church was too conservative. And some left because to them it seemed like the church was dying. Now I hesitate to preach this message here. Because some of you used to attend Bethel and now you're here. And I hope that you don't misunderstand me because this message is absolutely not. If that's you, it's, this, is not, this is, does not have anything to do with you, okay? <clears throat> it is not aimed at you. I love you no matter how you got to this church, okay? I'm glad you're a part of this church, all of you that are here this morning. But what this does have to do with is the burden I have to discover Define and embrace with all my heart the mission of the church. I just don't want to be here and miss the mission. But when I look back and reflect on what happened in our church before the exodus, that's what I call it, <clears throat> I have to ask myself this question. What was it really that was holding us together before all that happened? Was the truth that our foundation was so shallow that when storms of disagreement came along, we weren't anchored enough to take it? What was what was holding us together actually the shallow and the temporal instead of the eternal? What is God's mission for the church? And what is the right glue, the crazy glue, that will allow us to have biblical churches who stick together through thick and thin and accomplish all of God's purposes for the church in this generation. <clears throat> the title for the message this morning is called God's Mission. Did I, I think I might have told Kyle wrong. It's God's Mission for the Church, uh, Kyle. And then a subtitle would be Aligning My Practice with His Purpose. God's Mission for the Church, Aligning My Practice with His Purpose. So turn with me for a text to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple different scriptures, actually. <clears throat> Acts chapter 4. Now, I see there's two glasses of water up here, Kendall. Which one is the one for the, the minister? Okay, I'm taking the one that's not on the coaster, okay? <laughs> All right. I just want to begin here with Acts chapter 4. Now, I asked you the question, what is the glue, what is the right glue that will hold us together when, you know, we have different viewpoints and things like that. So let's just see what happened in the early church. Um, <clears throat> Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, for they were assembled together. Now, I want you to notice as we go through these just a few verses here, the, the community words, the, the more than me words. It's, it's more than one. Where they, where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. 
And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. I'll just stop reading there. The glue is the Holy Spirit, right? The, 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 the oil of the Holy Spirit, it says there in verse 31 how they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. We see here, as God prepares the church for his mission, we see the, the resource, uh, the power behind the mission, the release of the Holy Spirit. And what do we see as a result of that? We see great boldness in verse 31. We see that they were of one heart and one soul. They had common goals and unity. Uh, They were unselfish. It says, neither said any of them the things which he possessed was his own. And we see also great power in the church. What do you think of when you think of the power of the Holy Spirit? I just think that it it has a a persuasiveness. It's a compelling power, right? Compelling, persuasive influence of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, great grace was upon them all. I wonder what that means. I just tend to think of that as the sweetness of the awareness of of the presence of God. And then we see the equality. It says, neither was there any of them that lacked. So, as a result of pouring out the oil of the Holy Spirit upon the church, all of these things flower up as a result of the outpouring of this glue or this oil, the crazy glue. Was there a compelling reason to be a part of the early church? And I think there was. And I believe that God has a purpose for his church. And he will release the Holy Spirit upon our efforts when the, when the mission or the direction that we're going aligns with what his purpose is. You know, are we perfect? Do we do it always right? No, we don't. We mess up. We stick our foot in our mouth. We do things backwards sometimes. However, um, Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good for them that love God to them who are called according to my purpose? No, according to his purpose. So that I think that when our hearts are bent and discovering, okay, what, you know, what is it? What is it? How could I? I'm just, Lord, you just show me, and I'm just going to align my life, heart and soul, like it says right here. And the amazing thing was, it wasn't just one person but it was the whole church. They were all heart and soul for God's purpose. So I think it is an issue of alignment. That's what I call it, that when the alignment of our, my heart and your heart and the, and the heart of the church is for what God says is his purpose, then God says, okay, I'm going to pour out some oil onto what you're doing, as imperfect as it may be. Now, I think that at times, if we could peel back to the core of the reason why we're in church, sometimes there is a motivation underneath there that is actually not a primary, of primary interest to God, okay? It's a secondary purpose. Secondary purposes are not wrong, 
but they're not primary. <clears throat> and here's a few of them. The church is not primarily a social club. If, if my primary reason for being in this church is so that for the purpose of meeting my social needs, my needs, then I, will, then I may leave as soon as I feel like those needs are not being met. It is not primarily a big youth group. Now, that is one that I have heard in my own church and in other churches that, you know, we just, but what about our children? I mean, they need to have youth. And I'm just asking, that's, a, that's an important concern, but I'm asking us, but is that a primary concern? It's not primarily a social club. It's not primarily a big youth group. It's not primarily so you can find a church that you are comfortable with. I've heard that so many times. I asked people on Monday, hey, how was church yesterday? Well, I didn't go, and, uh, you know, I just haven't found a church that I am comfortable with. Is that primary? It is not primarily so you can find a church that matches the liberties and the convictions that you have. And it is not primarily because it is the most, well, it's the most convenient. <clears throat> you know, as you think about, and you could, you could look, other things, but as you think about all of those reasons, what is one thing that all of those reasons have in common? And that is, I believe, an underlying motivation that I am in this church for what's in it for me, which is actually not of God's primary concern. It's not good if your primary reason for being in church is for secondary purposes. <clears throat> and I believe that God will not align His Holy Spirit behind secondary purposes. <clears throat> now, I want us to look now at the textbook for the church. Uh, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> and we just want to see some things that God says about the church. And then <clears throat> I would like to end the message by just talking about four what I think of uh, that Scripture would show us are four primary purposes at the end. All right. So Ephesians is such an amazing book. I love the book of Ephesians, and I call it the we book, okay? Um, this is how, if you're a Christian this morning, how you're going to do it to get to the end is you have to do it as a we. You came in as a me, now you need to do it as a we. All right, so let's look. I'm just going to, we're going to just kind of, we're going to start in chapter 1, and we're going to move through until, look at some verses in each chapter until we get to chapter 4, 1, 2, 3, and 4. <clears throat> but let's begin in verse 22 of chapter 1. And it talks just before that uh, how God the Father raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and then in verse 22 it says, And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So we have been called into the greatest organization on the face of the earth because, and the reason is, because Christ is the head of the church. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So we, like I said, we come in as a me, but we come into a we. All right, now let's look into chapter 2. 
<clears throat> so this is how we came into the church, how you came in. Verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, in the flesh made by hand. So, uh, verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So this is how we come to Jesus. No hope, we're a stranger, we're an alien, we're outside of the fold of God, outside of the people of God. This is how we come in. Uh, then verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus... You who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So now we come in as a me, but we're brought into what? Let's keep reading. For he is our peace who has made both one. Both one, what's he talking about? He was talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, those that were sort of uh, God's people, and yet they also had to come into the church. He has broken down the middle of wall of partition between us, Jew and Gentile. He abolished the law, verse 15. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity between the Jew and the Gentile. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off. That's who you were. You were far off. Spiritually, you were far off. <clears throat> and to them that were not. Those of you that grew up in church, those that didn't grow up in church, uh, both of you needed the gospel. For through him, those that were far and those that were near, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. And here again, it just, I just think that the book of Ephesians just brings out over and over again, it's we, guys. It's we now. Are you, are you a good... Uh, like when you run the three-legged race, do you do that well? Or would you rather say, you know, I'd just rather go by myself? It's a whole lot faster. I found this quote. You've you probably heard this before. But I found this quote that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I just think there is so much, what? There is so much potential. You know, it, it is isn't it, to try to do this as a we? Like, man, you're just, you just kind of rub me the wrong way sometimes. <laughs> but what if? You know, it's like I've said this many times. You know those Super Bowl players? In fact, okay, when I was back in the 80s, I loved sports, and I still love it. I try not to pay any attention to it, but it still interests me. And so I saw this little video thing. Uh, I never watched it, but it was about the... Um, the Last Dance, okay? How many of you have heard of that video? I shouldn't, I don't know if I should ask you to raise your hand, okay? A few, <laughs> a few sports nuts in here know what I'm talking about. So The Last Dance was, I think it was the last year that Michael Jordan played before he retired and, and they won, you know, they had won three championships and then he went off and played baseball and they came back and won three more championships. And so the last year, they allow these reporters in to have very close access into the locker room and to... And, to, you know, you really get the behind the scenes of how did they do this and win a championship, you know, that sixth time. So I just saw a preview of it, and it was interesting to me because I love sports. By the way, it's, I would say sports is may, mostly it's just idol worship. That's what it is, okay? Can we be honest about that? That's what it is. But <clears throat> anyway, so one of the players said, 
Michael Jordan was a, I can't remember, what the, but he said some bad words. He was a jerk, in other words. But you know what? You know why they could play together so well? Because the championship, the trophy, right? And it's like, okay, we can put aside the fact that you, you know, my wife told me this morning that when I chew gum, I sound like I have food in my mouth. It's annoying. And she didn't say it was annoying, but I knew it was. <laughs> okay. You know what? It's, it's when we have a, a, a the vision, the things that are unseen, you know, when you, and, and we see it. It's like, if, let's go for it, brother. Come on, let's go for it. What a beautiful, what a beautiful thing to do. All right. <clears throat> So, verse 19, you are no, long, no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. You've got to do it as we, folks, of the household of God. Are there any tensions in any of your households sometimes? <laughs> I think we had something scratchy come up in my house before we left here. We tried to do it all right, so we come over here and don't have any, you know. <laughs> That's how it is in our house sometimes. But what about the mission? Right? The household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Now, so what I'm emphasizing right now is just, but you got to do it as a we. You've got to do it as a we. We need all of you. We need all of you. <clears throat> you know what I think? I'll throw this in, too. This is not in my notes, but I think that a church can function if the core of you all is together. And there's room for some of you that are, you know what I bet? There's some of you that are on the fringe right now. Some of you are not core and are fringe. But if 75% of you are the core, the church is going to keep moving forward. That's kind of the way I see it. <clears throat> All right. Now, I want us to look now at what I see in, I love chapter 3. It's right in the middle of Ephesians, and it has, well, there's a verse right at the end. By the way, people added the chapter divisions and the verse divisions, right? So Paul didn't put those numbers in there. People did that sometime later. So, but anyway, right here in the middle of the book, we see three purpose statements that come from God in heaven, Okay. So the first one we find in verse 22 of chapter 2. Here is, we could say, you know, if we put up, I've heard people say you should have a, your core values and a mission statement and, and a vision statement. You should post that in your church and in your business. Well, if we would have three mission statements, we, I've got three of them for you right out, of, right out of this book for the church. Verse 22. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So I just think that as you bind your hearts together, setting aside some of the fluff and stuff, you know, <clears throat> maybe working through some of the fluff and stuff too, but you're binding yourself together. Like it is in, I think of it like the, uh, I used to read these stories about the, when there was a fire back in the old days and the firefighters came and they stood outside the window and held the little, what do they call it? It looked like a trampoline, I guess. And the guys jumped out into the, like, 
that's how we, we should be the people standing in the circle. And God wants to come down by the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be a place. He, he will dwell in the we. That's what he's, yes, he is dwelling in us individually. But it says, you are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. That is what God is looking for. That's his primary purpose. He can do so many things when this purpose is being fulfilled in your church, in this church. All right. God wants to dwell in the we. All right. Here's my favorite verse in all of Ephesians. Verse 10 of chapter 3. To the intent, it says, verse 10. It'd be good if we could read all the context, but for sake of time, we're not going to do that. To the intent, or for this reason, that now, right here, to me, is the core purpose of God for the we, for the church. To the intent, for this reason, that now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, by the way, back in in chapter 1, it said he seated Jesus far above all, all principality and power in heavenly places. So apparently there was a, like an upper stratosphere and a lower stratosphere. There's the heavenly places way at the top and then another level where there's demons and devils, spirits, okay? To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by God and his angels the manifold wisdom of God. Is that what it says? And what it says is unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Like, I, <clears throat> it is the demonstration of the kingdom of God for the glory of God to good and bad angels and to the world what it looks like when a community of believers embrace and live for the purposes of God and the values of heaven. That's a mouthful. That's my little definition. I'll just say that again. It is the demonstration of the kingdom of God for the glory of God to good and bad angels and to the world of what it looks like when a community of believers embrace and live for the purposes of God and the values of heaven. What diversity, but what unity laying down my personal plans and secondary purposes For the primary purpose of God. And then you know what it says right after that? The very next verse, according to the eternal purpose. Like God had this in mind from the beginning. He had the old covenant. You know, God is very patient. He waited 4,000 years. And in the fullness of time, he sends Christ. He sent the Holy Spirit. He burst the church. And now part of God's purpose is, it's almost like he's going to say to Satan, see, Here are these human beings. They got the fallen nature, but they got the Holy Spirit. And look what they're doing together. And the principality of powers are going, can't stop this. (laughs) According to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just think, what a purpose statement. You should put that on a plaque and put it on the wall of your church. (laughs) That is so beautiful. All right. So, purpose statement number one, 
God's purpose statement that you are building together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Purpose statement number two, Ephesians 3.10, to the intent that now one of the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. And number three, let's go down to the end of the chapter now, in chapter three, the last verse, unto him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus, you didn't do it by yourself, you did it because of Christ Jesus. His spirit is here. Christ is not here, but his spirit is here. Unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Or another translation says, throughout all generations, including this one. God's purpose in this generation for this church. <clears throat> God's primary purpose is not what you get out of it, folks. It's not what, it's what he gets out of it. You notice that? You notice that in all three of those purpose statements? It's what he gets out of the church. We struggle sometimes to get people to come to prayer meeting because they base their decision on coming in what they expect to get out of it. And since some of them perceive they won't get anything out of it, and it's boring, they will not attend. What you get out of it is secondary, folks. It's important. I'm not saying it's not important. It is important. You know, some of you that didn't grow up in this church, you evaluated what you were going to get out of it if you came to Sandy Ridge, didn't you? That's important. But what's more important is, and I'm just asking you, is that your heart, really? Is it, is it the thing that drives you to your knees about, but Lord, I just wanted more, you know, friendliness. I wanted a bigger youth group. I wanted whatever I wanted. But God, are you getting what you want out of me and out of this church? Is that your heart? That's what I'm asking you. You know, what if we could think like the church in the book of Acts? I love Acts chapter 13. I love the little church at Antioch. You know, we, the, uh, the church in Jerusalem got a lot of press. The church in Antioch did not get as much press. But in the church in Antioch, that's in Acts 13. You don't have to turn to it, but you know the story. It's, I'll just read a little bit of it. <clears throat> there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. They had the two best. They had about four preachers, but they had the two best in the early church, they had Paul and Barnabas, two of the very best, right? They ministered, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, your two best guys. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, right? Uh, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And the church gathered together and said, you know what? We can't really let our two best guys go. you like, we need them here. And so, no, that's not what happened. <clears throat> Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Why? Secondarily, it didn't benefit the church at Antioch, or did it? Maybe it did. I could imagine that that would be hard to send. Let's send away uh, the bishop and, and the preacher, Manson and Lyle. Let's send them off. 
Somehow we knew that was God's primary purpose. What I see in Paul here, the Apostle Paul, to me, he's thinking about these purposes. He's, he's probably sitting in a prison somewhere. He loves the people in Ephesus. He spent two years there. And, <clears throat> and so he's sitting somewhere in a jail cell, and he's thinking about God's purposes, and he's thinking about the church, and is there really going to be God's purpose move forward? And so verse 14 says, for this cause, I bow my knees. This is what brings me to my knees. that God's purpose would be fulfilled in the church. All right. I'm going to give you my definition of God's purposes, of some of God's purposes. What I think they're primary, and you could put multiple categories underneath of them. And I'm just asking you, as I mention these four things, these may be, I don't know. I started to say these may be things that you don't get anything out of it, but I take it back. Because I think that every time one of God's purposes is fulfilled, I always get something out of it, right? Like when God saves a soul, what did Jesus say? Uh, um, John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might be in you. You get joy. God gave you salvation, you get joy out of it. Absolutely, we get things. But so here are the four categories that I think of that I, I would see as primary. <clears throat> the first one is salt. I'm going to give you the four, then I'm going to just define it a little bit. The first one is salt. The second one is roots. The third one is bonds. And the fourth one is reach. So let's just define those four just a little bit, and then I want to close. Salt. Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Salt is... Uh, I understand like in a cake, a cake even gets salt, right, just a little tiny bit, or like yeast gets a little tiny bit, but it will flavor the whole thing. God knows that, he, that the whole world is not going to be Christian. In fact, most of them are not going to be Christian, but he wants the flavor of the kingdom of heaven in the world, and it's going to be you. Nobody else is going to do it, but you have to do it. And when you lose your savor and get caught up in the wrong kingdom, folks, it just ain't going to happen. I think to me, the primary calling of the church is to be the salt. And you think about in the time of Lot, you know, did God destroy Sodom because of the high level of wickedness or did he destroy Sodom for the low level of salt? When the salt got so low, God said, okay, I'm done, I'm done. You have to be salt. Our first calling is to be salt, not salt under a bushel. Not hiding in a hole till Jesus comes. No, that's not very compelling, is it? But I just want to say, and I, Lord willing, I'm planning to speak on this a little more, go into more depth on this in another message, but uh, salt is often countercultural. And I think there's a cry in our churches that we're saying, you know what, we're just these little weird Mennonites sitting off to the side here somewhere. We're kind of not relevant to the kingdom uh, somehow. And so we just not, somehow need to be more relevant. Well, maybe so, maybe so. But be careful that you don't, for the sake of being more relevant, you lose your soul, okay? The kingdom of God is upside down, and it is often countercultural. It is often countercultural. You be the soul. All right. <clears throat> now, 
The rest of the, the other three categories, roots, bonds, and reach, are all in Ephesians. So if you're still in Ephesians, um, we'll just look at what he says about these things. Remember what I said in verse 14 of chapter 3, Paul said, this is the cause, God's purpose. Well, what was one of God's purposes more definitively? He says in verse 14, this is what's driving me to my knees, and what is it? This is what he begins to pray for down in verse 16. Just a beautiful, there's two beautiful prayers in the book of Ephesians, one's in chapter 1, and this other one is in chapter 3. <clears throat> and this, so he goes down on his knees, and he, he begins to pray for what? What does he pray for? That he would grant you, talking about the group now, not, not an individual. He's not writing this letter to an individual. He's writing it to the church, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. God wants you to get roots. This is roots. This is your, you cannot be dabbling around the surface. As a Christian, you have to have roots. Strengthened with might by his spirit. You know, if they would say, well, we're taking prayer requests. What are your prayer requests? Paul would say, his first one was that you be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. How do you do that as a we? Develop, like, I know I'm responsible for myself to develop my own roots. But how do we have a, you know what? If you don't want to develop your roots, you don't have to. <laughs> you know, the system isn't going to make roots start growing out of you. But if you open the gate valve, it will grow, okay? And so the question is, how can we as a church be, this is who we are about. This is one of our purposes here at Sandy Ridge. It is roots. We are about developing deep convictions and deep connections to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And everybody knows this. <laughs> All the members know this. This is part of their purpose. They, they get it. They, that's why they're here. All right. <clears throat> what else did he say? Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. This is how he's in there. We don't see him, but he's in there by faith. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you really know that is true? Do you have to experience it? Do you have to feel something so you know he's in there? Or can you believe it by faith? God gives us experiences, by the way. But sometimes we go just by faith. Is that right? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in conviction. No, he says, in love. This is something that I pray for often. Oh, Lord, fill me with your love. Fill me with your love. You have to love everybody. Did you know that? You have to love everybody. Paul's prayer requests. And may be able to comprehend somehow that is spiritual discernment. By the way, you know, if you're lacking in spiritual discernment, if you keep making choices that are shallow and short-ended and temporal, your roots aren't very deep. And that's why he prays that you may be able to comprehend with all saints the breadth, length, depth, and height. He's talking about the love of Jesus. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. By the way, somebody told me this once. I, I just thought it was a neat idea. I don't know if this is what this verse means for sure or not. But verse 19 the way that I usually hear it explained, <clears throat> to know the love of Christ, which you can't know. That's kind of how we explain it. You know, Christ's love, you know, I'm praying that you know the love of Christ, but actually we can't really know it because it's so big. That's kind of how we tend to explain this verse. Well, a friend of mine told me that in an Amish prayer book, 
It says something like this. I don't have the quote in front of me. But this verse is saying, to know the love of Christ, which is better than knowledge. So all the, all the doctrine, all the teaching, and all the training, to know the love of Christ is better. All this other is important, but it is better to know the love of Christ. <clears throat> all right. Roots, that you may be filled, verse 19, with all the fullness of God. We here at Sandy Ridge are passionate. This is a purpose we all are engaged in. We all know this, and we're all pulling on it. We don't care how big the youth group is, but we do care about this. Roots. What about bonds? Over in uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When I'm talking about bonds, I'm talking about the, the deepness of the level of your connection to one another. Right? bonds i love acts 2 verse 42 and i just think once again when the holy spirit came in acts 2 verse 42 the holy spirit is poured out and guess what happened the group united around four purposes it seems like that's one of the things the holy spirit does he brings we together in ways that are uncommon that people unite around a goal and a vision that is uncommon and in Acts 2, verse 42, it says, and they continued steadfastly, or another translation says, and they, meaning the whole church, they devoted themselves in the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. What I'm talking about now with bonds is the fellowship. That's the word koinonia. You've heard that word before. It's koinonia is the share in Christ that we hold in common. Koinonia is not me and Jesus. Koinonia is we and Jesus, okay? It's like that ceiling fan right there. Each of us is one of the links, but we all link, or one of the, uh, the blades of the fan, we all link to the middle and connect it to the head. We do this. And that's why communion, did you know the word communion in the New Testament is translated koinonia, which means the very same thing. It's the we. When we have communion, it ain't, well, I guess it's just between me and the Lord anyway, so I'll go ahead, even though I'm kind of upset with him right now. But okay, it's just me and Jesus. No, 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 no. No, it's we. That's the bond. That's the kind of bonds that I'm talking about. Uh, <clears throat> bonds that are intentional. Intentional in that we are keeping our strongest cords spiritual and not just social. Right? Bonds that are vulnerable. The depth of your bond with your brothers and sisters in the church depends on how vulnerable that you will be. Is that right? If you're not very vulnerable, it ain't very deep. Intentional vulnerable, and accountable. Do you feel accountable for others? To your brother, I am accountable to my brother, and I feel accountable for my brother. This is how you, sh this is just, you should have walked in here with that sense this morning. And if you know that somebody is struggling, you just, ah, you know what? Kendall mentioned about some of the things or something that happened in our church just this past week. And it was so distracting. And I kept asking the Lord, could you just kind of set that off to the side? And I told my fellow ministers, I don't have time for this. I have to focus on Sandy Ridge. I can't. And it just seemed like the Lord was saying, no, no, I have grace for you. <laughs> just, you need to take care of that. It's your own church. And then you're gonna, I'm going to give you grace for over there too. Yep, that's how it's going to be. And when you know, you know, when you, do you feel, do you feel 
I don't care who you are this morning. If you remember here, do you feel that when you know, if you would hear some of the things that Brother Lyle, like, I don't know what all is going on in his world, but I'm pretty sure he's got some burdens, okay? And if somebody told you the same burden that Brother Lyle was stooped low about right now, would, is that how you would feel? That's what I'm talking about, that you feel um, accountable for your brother. <clears throat> Those kinds of bonds. That's what God wants. And I think that's what the world is missing. That's what they're wanting. They don't have those kinds of connections out there. God made us to need that. You know, why did God, when he designed Christianity and salvation, he designed it like, I'm going to bring you into the laboratory, right? That's how he's going to do it. All right. <clears throat> and we're going to do it now. Now let's jump over to verse, or chapter 4, verse 2. We're going to do it with this kind of an attitude, with all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If I break fellowship and am resentful, and I'm in church, but I'm, not really, I'm here, but I'm not really here, if that's what I am, then I will break the communion of the Spirit within the body of Christ. Salt, roots, Bonds and reach. Just a few comments about reach. <clears throat> Let's look over to chapter 4. Chapter 4 says in verse 11, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. What for? For the perfecting of the saint. It, I used to think that verse 12 read like this. Three categories. For the perfecting of the Why did he give all those leaders in that? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. As I read that in other translations, and I just think over this some more, I think that's not what he was saying. He was saying for basically this, to equip, he's giving all these leaders to equip the saints for works of ministry. It's one thing, is what he's talking about. That's reach. <clears throat> it's roots, it's bonds, and it's reach, Okay? So if you're going to be a healthy Christian, you need to have input and you need to have output. Where, are, where is your output going? You can do it inside of the church. There's teaching, there's singing, there's cleaning, there's servings. The opportunities are endless if you are available, right? And there is discipling. Like, I just feel like this is such a big need among us. People get saved, they come to Christ, and they flounder because no one is walking along beside of them. This happens way too often, way too often. <clears throat> Serving and discipling. That's one way to reach inside of the church. And, of course, outside of the church. There are categories that I think that God is deeply concerned about. He's concerned about the, un the unchurched, the unreached. Go ye into all the world, the, uh, Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things, baptizing them whatsoever I've commanded you, Jesus said. And also, the devastated, and the poor, and the persecuted. You know, this is so important to Jesus that in the end, he says what he's going to ask us at the end. He didn't, he's not going to ask us, did you witness a lot, Devon? Did you witness a lot? Is he going to ask that? Or is he going to say, you know, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked. Apparently, this is very important to him. So these are ways that we can reach. Even though, if you can't go over there, you can give your money to help those 
devastated and poor and persecuted uh, people and places. <clears throat> All right. Salt. You have to be salt. You have to have roots. You have to have bonds. And you have to have reach. You could define it so much further, but I'm just going to leave that right there. Finally, I, did, I forgot. There's one other thing that I want to point out here before we close. Who is responsible that this happens? Who is responsible? And we just read verse 11 of Ephesians 4. He gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You are responsible, Brother Lyle. Of course, the leaders are responsible. Someone needs to lead. We are called to provide leadership, to provide vision, and we are called to develop others. Verse 11 and 12 go right together where part of the work of the leadership is not to do all the work, but to equip others to do the work. And finally, none of the rest of you are exempt. By the way, if you look down at verse 16, he says, from whom, talking about connected to Jesus, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by, by that. What is drawing the body together? By that which every joint supplies. That is you. That is you. You are responsible that these things happen. It's not just the leaders. It's you. One thing that I think I have learned as a minister, the difference in the way that I thought from before I was ordained to the way that I feel now is I feel the weight of the responsibility of the outcome. Like when a problem comes up, I can't just focus on what's wrong. I have to figure out with my brothers how to repair this problem. You know, if your children are acting up, I can just say, man, it was loud in church. That one kid, I don't know why their parents don't take him out, but, you know, but if it's my child, it's like my father said. Actually, I found out later he said this about me. <laughs> I was a wayward son. I was rebellious. And somebody came to my dad and said, if that was my boy, I'd kick him out. And my dad said, well, if he was your boy, I'd kick him out too. But he's not your boy. He's my boy. And I'm just asking you, as lay brothers and sisters here, you should feel like that's my boy when there's problems. Don't say that's Lyle and Vanson and Kendall and Ken's problem. This is a mess. It's your problem. No, you should say that's my boy. In closing, <clears throat> most people will engage and make great sacrifices if you can clearly define for them a compelling mission. And many people have bailed out of churches because their sense of the mission of the church was too small. One of my greatest fears is that we will come to the end and discover that we were putting the exclamation point at the wrong part of the sentence. That we were good at volleyball and feasting, but we weren't good at prayer and fasting. What I long to hear instead would be, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You had a burden for my purposes, and you acted on it. When others sought security, you were willing to risk. When others sought comfort, you were willing to sacrifice. When others passed by on the other side, you took ownership. You got down and got involved and got your hands dirty 
you cared for and took up ownership to advance my purpose in the church in your generation. Well done, well done. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What about you this morning? Are you engaged in God's mission in this church? Are you core or are you fringe? Are you a team player? Do you lay down your desires if it's better for the rest of the church? And does your effort and investment in this church align with God's purposes? Or is it more the truth that most of them are secondary? I challenge you this morning to get a hold of God's vision for the church. It's the most amazing, the most compelling mission. And the results will go on into eternity. Would you kneel together with me for prayer, please? Oh, Lord, forgive us for our short-sightedness and our shallowness, Lord. For we have gotten irritated about things that were secondary. And Lord, please open our eyes to, to see the bigger picture, the primary purpose, Lord. I pray that you do a work in this church, in these leaders, and in these brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.